Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome, marketers, advertisers, and those who love them, the Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Oren Hoffman. Today's topic, big data, the MarTech stack, and vendor management. Thoughts on surviving the le- the revolution. Now, Oren is the CEO of SafeGraph, a company that collects and curates data about places. He's been the CEO, and he's going to explain that later, what we mean by places. And he's been the CEO of SafeGraph for over seven years. He's a serial entrepreneur and self-described, and I think probably legitimately, data geek, having built and sold several companies, including Kyber Systems, BridgePath, and LiveRamp. Welcome, Oren. Thank you. Excited to be here, Mike. Great to have you. All right. First question. Give us your take on data. I mean, everybody's been talking about data for a long time. We have data scientists on here. We have AI. Give us your take on data and how it's evolving in today's marketplace. Well, first, data, if you think of what is data, it's 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 really about four nouns, right? So you have data about people, data about physical places data about organizations like companies, and data about products. So almost all data that you see is about one of those four nouns that can be crossed with each other. They can also be crossed with time and price. Um, But that's really what data is. Um, And and then usually people are selling about one of those four nouns. Uh, And if you show, and and so if you think of data about a, um, like a ticker data, price ticker data, that might be a company data. And then of course it's, it's crossed with time and price. And you can see the tick back from AT&T back over a hundred years, maybe a hundred years ago, that tick might be once a day. Now it might be every 10th of a second or something. Um, And that data is generally very, very good and useful. And then of course, the most important thing of data if we think of like, what is the most important thing about data? The most important thing is that it's true. Uh, and sometimes people forget they're trying to do all these things on top of data. Data is really about predicting the past. It's about what is the past? What is the like? And you want to have as close to truth about what happened in the past so that you can use that to help you predict the future. So so while we're at it, tell us about about places data because you know i know you're into this places thing tell us that and, and then we'll move on but i think give our listeners a a, a, a call on what what's going on in places here sure so that's what safecraft does we have data about that noun which is data about physical places so you think of data about your local cafe restaurant a school an apartment building uh maybe a big power plant or a warehouse you want to know certain things about that. That might be like the operating hours of the place, where's the place, maybe contact information, different categories about that place, maybe the uh, square meters of the place or the shape of the place. Basic information is what we do. We what we do everything we do is verifiable. You could actually go to the place and look around if you wanted to, and you could potentially verify. Um, you know, what we what we do. So and that's one of the great things about data is that you can often check up to see if it is true. Um, now, we have data about well, billions and billions of facts. So you can't check every single one of those facts, but you could take a, uh, a sample and go check it up and you could see how good you are. Right. Now, let's go to this trust thing. And I want to talk about really the 
the the collection of data and then the selling of data. But one of the things about you you mentioned the data is true, or it's one of the most important things is to get true data. Yep. You know, I spent some time in some industries where sometimes, it, to even with the most valiant efforts, it was tough to get true data or people, there's people in the system that actually want their own version of the truth. How, how when people, are, our listeners are thinking about the data coming into them, do they think about, is this data true or not? Like, how do I think about it? Well, you certainly want it to be more true than random. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if you had uh, gender on people or something like yeah. that, let's say you took the let's say you took a million people at random and you had their gender. Ideally, it would be better than just flipping a coin on mm-hmm. their gender or something. Right. Um, and so um, and now marketing data is usually less good historically right. and data about people in general is less good. It's it's hard to verify. It's hard to get. Um, and so, um, and so you're, you're generally, so if you, if you have, even if you have gender data, it's often like 75% correct or something right. again, which like, is addresses change everything. Yeah. Changes yeah. Well, again, well. gender data, that's better than flipping a coin, right? So 75% is still better and, and probably still will help the marketer. Um, and so it really depends on what you're doing with that data. If you're sending somebody a direct mail catalog back in the day, and yeah. you think that they like puppies and they actually only like cats. Um, and so you sent them a bad catalog. Okay, well, that just cost you, you know, a little bit of money. It's yeah, not too I'm bad. It's not, the, yeah. it's not the worst thing as long as most of the people you send it to like puppies. Um, if you're actually doing some sort of deep data science or deep AI on top or, or some sort of machine learning model on top of the data, then these errors compound really fast. So even if you're 90% correct, you know, 0.9 times each other quite a bit gets a very small number, very, 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 very small, you're like a very, very small number. Yeah. Fuck you, so said. You, you really need to be correct as close to true as possible. Um, if you're starting to get into some sort of model. Right now, I can't let this go. We're going to go to AI in a minute, but I can't let this go where you said marketing data is difficult i think or challenging you said are you using well it's it's it's, it's difficult because it doesn't need to be that good um in many cases again it has to be better than throwing darts um but it doesn't need to be that good and most marketers are not always aware of how good the data is anyway so they don't they often won't pay up for the better data so if you think of a data company that's selling into a marketer they don't always have like incentives to um to make that data very good. And so we 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 found that at, at SafeGraph, we were our our main competitors were these old school companies that were selling to mailing lists. So they were gonna, you know, they hey, you wanna mail all the Italian restaurants in New York. And if you happen to get a few Thai restaurants in there, no big deal. And if you happen right. to get a bunch of restaurants that close, no big deal. Um and so that's what they're, and so if you were even 50% accurate, that was actually pretty good if you're selling to a marketer. We were selling to somebody very different than a marketer. We're selling to somebody who's like taking that data, putting it in a model. In their case, their bar for accuracy is just way, way, way higher. And that that client that we sell to today really didn't exist 10, 20 years ago. And so the 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 incumbents weren't really set up to, to sell to these new uh, new customers. So I did some time in insurance where like building data and everything else is super important for underwriting. Yeah. And um, t- tell our, our our listeners out there, and then we'll go on to AI, how, how they should look at marketing data just from a, you know, their first cut at it. 
because everyone says I everyone comes in the meeting with I've got the data and it says this. Tell me tell me how they should first take a look at at that general data source you're talking about here. Well, marketing is a little different in general because marketing, it's like data is one core, one piece of, you know, sometimes it's the message that really matters. Sometimes it's how you reach people and the medium that you're trying to. So there's all these different things. And data is just sometimes data is a little bit overweighted in marketing. Um, and so, you know, the people sometimes forget like how important the content is and, you know, all these other things that are out there. Um, and sometimes people don't really know, like they think, um, you know, men buy this product, but it turns out actually 30% of the people buy the product are women and yeah. they, they, so they don't always even really know the the core thing. So I, I think data and marketing is, is, is still in it, it, you, it, you would think it's like really far down, but it's still very much in its infancy. Okay. Um, we're going to come back to this if we have time at the end, let's talk about AI. Yeah, everyone's talking about AI. We have to. We, you, we almost inevitably reference AI in every show, but we definitely want to get into AI with you. Give us your take on AI and what people, particularly marketers, should be experimenting with now on AI. Well, the the good news from AI is that we're help a lot. If you think of like the different functions of a company, like marketing is a function where AI should be able to help quite a bit. So if you're trying to spit up like a lot of content, AI is certainly going to supercharge you and help you spit up a lot of content. If you're yeah. trying to create lots of different versions of ads or keywords, or you're trying to create videos or any of those types of things, like all these new LLM tools are going to be like a magic magical thing for you. You're going to be able to do this much, much faster, much, much, much cheaper, and probably much, much, much higher, a higher quality as well. So this is going to be really good for um for marketers there'll probably be other functions of companies whether it be like finance or hr or you know some of these other companies where um product management where maybe ai is going to be slower to help it'll help on the margins a little bit but it'll be so but, but marketing is one of the functions where it should help the most the quickest can you are yeah i don't know if you can but is there anybody out there that's using ai really well that you want to call out here where you would say, gosh, these guys are doing a good job of it. Well, I think most engineering orgs have been using AI for quite a bit. Um, and so, uh, and w which makes sense, early adopter, and then it's already baked into the tools. So if you're, um, if you're, if you have some sort of uh, coding tool, um, it'll like, it'll be like a, a co-pilot or something like that. It's already baked in. It's going to help. It's helping you type less at the very least, right? So, and then um, it also helps you find things faster. Uh, so if you're, especially if you're like going to a new language and you're not as familiar with that new language, so maybe you're super familiar in Python, but you're not as familiar with Java or something like that, it will be very helpful in helping you make that transition. So for, uh, for any type of software developer in your org, they're probably already using these tools. They're probably already benefiting quite a bit. I, my guess is probably most of your uh, audience, the the marketers are already using most of, a lot of these tools already too. They're probably already creating tons right. of video content and tons of other type of content with this. So we're seeing just, I mean, and it doesn't have to be like the company is do. It's like it's like individual teams at the company start using it and they start benefiting from it. That's the one, the beautiful thing about some of these AI tools is you don't necessarily have to be like super technical. You just have to be curious. And sometimes you're using it with like your kids and then that ends up helping you with your work. Right. Got it. 
Hey, so so tell us how SafeGraph uses data and then give us a, a live example. Uh, well, how we use data or, or how you are how people are using the SafeGraph data. Yeah, so SafeGraph has really boring data about physical places. So yeah. again, if you want to know the all the Italian restaurants near you and the operating hours of those restaurants and square footage and that type of thing, like that's the data that we go collect. And the most important thing, again, when you're collecting data is that it's true. And you, if you think of data, data is just like rows and columns. Right. So if a row, you really want it, a row would be like a place you want, okay, does that place actually exist? Is it actually there? And maybe it used to be there, but it's no longer there. So is that is that row actually exists? And then if you think of each individual column, each individual attribute, you want to make sure that's true. So is the name correct? Is the website correct? Is the phone number correct? Okay, you have the op, maybe maybe you know when it opens on Tuesday, but you got it wrong when it opens on Saturday or something, right? Yeah. And so all these different things you want to be able to dive in, and you're going to have billions and billions of facts that you want to be able to verify. And you want to be as you're never going to be 100 true because even if you were true yesterday, they're probably changing today, right? These things change all the time. But you want to be on it, and then you need to have some sort of system to get into feedback to help you learn, so you can get better and better and better over time. And what is that system for you all? I mean, you get, we we get a lot of feedback from our customers. Some of our yeah. customers have consumers who help them get feedback. Some of our customers have other types of uh, users. And then we're getting tons of feedback that come in. And then we've got certain SLA, service level agreements with our customers to get these facts actually uh, verified. Like maybe somebody says, I, I you told me this, this cafe was open at 7 a.m. I showed up at 7.15 and the door clearly says it's not open till 8 a.m. Right. No for you. Um, so we want to make sure that a is that person. Do they say what they say is truthful? Um, and then we want to be able to have some sort of system to go verify that and then make that change. And that change could be just for that one cafe, or it could actually be uh, a representative bug in the system, and maybe that could actually update ten thousand cafes or something. Got it. Thank you. When we were talking, I we were talking about. Gosh, if you're sitting in the CMO seat or in the agency seat or whatever, you have all this. Everyone wants to get the data, hire people to manage the data and everything else. And you suggested you you had some strong opinions on vendor, vendor management, hiring and outsourcing. Just just share your opinions on that, uh, because I think our listeners would benefit from from your your perspective. Well, generally, almost every company probably has way more people than it should especially once you talk about a company let's say 500 people or plus they probably have way and then almost every org has more people than it should and especially that's true in marketing um now it's not necessarily that they should be spending less yeah. um but every time you add a person you have this massive coordination problem it's very very difficult the best case scenario you have like a two n coordination problem, um, but some of these companies have like an n squared or even n cube problem, right? Maybe they're not that well run. Um, these are all so, exponential things that RN is doing now. Everybody, yes, yeah, so, it's just yeah. very, very, very hard to coordinate when you have a lot of people. So every time you add a person, everybody else in the organization is going to move slower. That is guaranteed. And so you want to have your people moving as quick as possible. You want them to be as creative as possible. And so the best way to do that is to slow the growth of your employees. And one way to do that is to use vendors well. Uh, and so there are 
thousands and thousands of great books about how to hire and manage and grow talent. Um, There's basically no books about how to hire and manage your vendors. Um, There's no business school courses on that. That is, I believe, is the most important skill in the 21st century, business skill in the 21st century. The 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 the, the former one was probably the most important skill for the 20th century. Um, right. um, and it, it's important, but it's a skill that is less important now. And managing your vendors, and that vendors could be um, a, a contractor um, who helps you do something. It could be an API. It could be a software tool. There could be a lot of different vendors. And almost every company today now has more vendors than employees. Um, And so you just, sometimes they don't realize that. And, and just the, and you're seeing a scenario soon where you're going to have maybe even like hundreds of vendors to every employee. You may have five employees and you may have 200 vendors or something. Uh, and we've seen tons of companies, you know, Vizio got to a billion revenue with I think 12 or 13 employees, the TV company. So right. there's lots of companies that have been able to do this really effectively over time. So one of the things about vendor management, and and I'd love to get your take on this is when you look at things like the MarTech stack, sometimes you can have multiple people managing the vendors into the stack. And then you get a stack that it's either overbuilt or doesn't integrate that well. And that's just the MarTech stack. It's not even the other data systems. How do you think about when companies go the vendor route, what's some uh, best practices you would recommend they, that our our listeners think about? Well, it's hard to say, but I can tell you that if you show me, the marketing stack of a company, if you literally just show me the vendors that they use and nothing else, you don't tell me anything else about the company. I can fill in everything else about the company. I can even fill in how fast they're growing, how smart the people are, uh, the vintage of when this company was founded. Um, I can literally tell you everything else about it. So your vendors are are basically the DNA of your company. Uh, And Thinking about it strategically is very, very important. And by the way, like most people, they 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 have too many employees. A lot of people also have too many vendors, or they're using yeah. vendors that don't work, or they're using vendors that don't work with each other, or there could be a whole bunch of other types of things about what what's going on. So really thinking about that and really having people, just like you think about your employees and how you grow your talent and how you make these people like really, really thrive and be happy, you need to have the same uh, 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 kind of foresight with your vendors as well. Now, a lot of people would say, gosh, procurement runs vendor management or sits atop vendor management in the company. Yeah. But that to me has been a procurement doesn't always have the strategic look at all the different vendors. So I think you should fire every procurement. Every, uh, year, uh, every single, yeah, they're terrible. Like they're not good for companies. They, they might be good at getting you a better price. Um, and, and and certainly they could be good at beating up your vendor a bit and stuff, but you're really talking about things that are very, very, very much on the margin. Um, or they might be good at like managing your cash a little bit, like, you know, have, helping you get net 45 instead of net 30 or something. Um, but you might be able to teach a lot of your employees and then maybe have like uh, some sort of system, maybe a procurement check at the very end. Got it. I, I can't wait to get the inbound from the procurement society or whatever <laughs> for, for my show. But uh, the so 
So you would say the vendor vendor management should be run strategically pretty much at the, the with the C-suite setting the strategy and then some real consistent look across what like what and how the vendors are stacked together. Yeah, I, by the way, I do think this is very hard. So I don't think like a traditional company today is going to be able to make that switch very easily. And most of these traditional companies are 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 going are, are essentially go, never going to be able to do it, and they're just going to be they're just going to uh, have a future where they're always going to have to move very 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 slowly. So they're uh, going to move slowly. They're going to have inefficient, say, Martech stack, and they're going to have multiple maybe managers of the Martech stack where people are arguing here and here, and then people want to plug stuff into the stack that doesn't integrate with the rest of it. And that's that's where you're going to say these companies are just going to have to get better at that versus yeah, and also just they just have too many people. Like they're just going to have too many people. A lot of these companies have like not even just like twenty percent more people. They're like four or five x more people than they should have. So you're watching with great interest the tech cutbacks now, probably as you know, tech is the easiest place to cut back. So it's the simplest one to do. So it's just because generally people in tech companies are extremely uh, ambitious and they're extremely intelligent. They work super hard and they're usually tech oriented. So they know how to use tools and stuff like that. So it's certainly easier to cut back at a tech company than it would be at a, let's say a big apparel company or something. But it is also possible to do that at these big apparel companies. Again, it doesn't mean being cruel. You can do this in a good way. And it also doesn't mean spending less money. It's not about the saving the money. Um, It's about, making the ploys you have better at what they do, making them happier, um, making them have to spend less time coordinating with other people, less time in meetings, less time in bureaucracy, more time creating um, and making them more effective. Uh, So every single employee in your company should be happier long-term. So let's talk about those employees, which is along with vendor management, you can look at, I can hire or I can rent talent. Um, how, How do I think about that? Well, I think the uh, you want to rent people for experience and hire people for their energy. Um, and so the more experienced uh, type of person um, you can rent because you, you don't need them usually for 60 hours a week. Uh, right. You don't even need them for 20 hours a week. Usually you need them to help you with very, very, very important strategic things. And then sometimes they might need to be 20 hours in one week and then zero for the next four months and then come in again for 20 hours, right? Um, and so just like many of us have a corporate lawyer and we sometimes never, we can go months without call, calling the corporate lawyer and then maybe we're in a very, very important transaction, let's say an M&A transaction and the lawyer's working around the clock for us. Um, but that lawyer doesn't work for our company. They work for a law firm. We still may have a general counsel or something like that in our company, but we have experience and everyone is used to hiring an outside law- lawyer to help us for certain tasks, right? I think most of expertise can be hired that way. And so the more experienced people, I think you're going to see them going to have, instead of working for one company, they're going to work for 20 companies. Um, and they're also going to be happier. Uh, because they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to leverage and do the most important things to really leverage their experience, rather than all the other stuff that maybe a lot of other people could do. This is uh, well, and we do have a show in fractional, where which is just starting to explode. We think so. Uh, yeah, exactly. These like a CMO. Yeah, do you really need like a super experienced CMO at a hundred million dollar company? 
I don't know. No, I um, you know, maybe you need rarely. a, uh, you know, maybe you need a few hour a week person to help you coordinate the strategy. And then you need some super talented people who can, you know, do a bunch of core things. Well, the other thing about fractional or temporary is you also, as you grow, particularly in the marketing gig, you may need a different person. You may need somebody that's great at acquisition and, and uh, in the beginning, and then you mean a brand builder later, but it's not like exactly. you need one person. So write our listeners in this story one more time before we get, because we, we don't have too much time left. If you're giving any advice to marketers and ad agencies right now, what would you tell them? Well, I think the, um, I, I think the ad agencies in, in many cases have not, been on the side of their client. And I think it's very important to truly be on the side of your client. And if you're, you don't want to be selling them products that they, uh, uh, that they shouldn't be buying. Um, and so, and just because you're going to make margin on that or something like that. And so this idea that like an agency gets a vig on the media Sometimes I think like makes them not aligned with the client and they, uh, whereas if you had an agency that was like helping you, like with all your hiring vendors is really, really complicated. Yeah. So if you had a vend uh, agency to help you hire, but they didn't get a percentage, they weren't like, they didn't, they didn't have a, cause for every client, it might be very, very different based on the DNA of your company about what type of vendor. So they were just really trying to figure out, helping you figure out the best solution for you and they actually had your interest at heart i think that would be great and that yeah, would be, you, can, and, you can put them and, on retainer and then yeah and that actually would make sense because you need somebody who's you know maybe gone through uh the vendor selection process 40 times to help you that would be the exact type of expertise to rent is somebody who can help you do that but you don't want somebody who um has an incentive it's like when you have a wealth management uh person and they have right, an incentive to sell trade. you their own product yeah. right um, that's, that's somebody where you're, you're going to be in a worse, a worst case scenario. Well, thank you for that. Last question. It's two-parter. You, you can take both or one, but you have to take one funniest story or experience you could share on the air or, and one piece of practical advice you'd give our listeners that we haven't talked about yet. Well, it's early in the morning, so I'm not yet funny. Uh, so I'll go for the second question. Um, the I think the most practical thing if we're, if we're talking about hiring yeah. is I think the mo the thing that most people do when they're hiring, especially smaller companies like say your founder, et cetera, is most people hire for their weaknesses. So I'm not so good in this area, so I'm going to hire somebody who can scaffold me and and be really good in that particular area. So let's say you're a CMO and you're not that great at content marketing, you go hire a great person in content marketing to help you. That has been the advice for ages. I think that's bad advice. Um, so I think you should do the opposite. I think you should hire for your strengths. Um, and so if you're bad at content marketing, I just wouldn't even hire someone in content marketing at all, if you could. And if you're really good at like SEO, I would just hire a great SEO person, um, and have that person take that off your plate. And the, the advantage of hiring for your strengths is that almost certainly you're going to hire a better person. Um, you know how to hire, you know how to look for talent, you know exactly what to do there. Um, and then you can um, and then you could really get that person up to speed and that person potentially could take the full load off your plate. 
And then you could focus on getting yourself better at these other, maybe you feel like you have to get better at content management. You get yourself to some sort of point where you're decent at it before you go higher there. Got it. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to end the show. Amazing. Thank you, Oren. And thanks everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for more of our shows on Evergreen, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include what I learned as the first ever CMO of New York City under Michael Bloomberg, a primer on the marketing CFO position, and a top business professor talks about brands taking a socio-political stand. Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your work days and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. 